And so now we're continuing in our series through a selection of psalms this summer. And so now we come to Psalm 4. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 4. This message is titled, The King of Peace. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. This past spring, spring of 2023, the University of Oklahoma softball team went viral in a clip from a post-game press conference. And for those of you who don't spend all their time with teenagers like I do, going viral simply means that the clip was spread quickly and widely on the internet, drawing the attention of possibly millions of people. The team had just won their third straight national championship. And they ended the season with a 53-game win streak. And this level of winning comes with tremendous pressure. The expectations mount with each each championship and, and really with each and every win. And the team, during this press conference, mentioned that they had joy and they wanted to maintain their joy during the season. And knowing the tremendous pressure they were under... One of the reporters asked this team, under these circumstances, he actually said, having this target on your back all season, how do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could easily set in? And the answers to this question is what sparked the interest of millions of people. One player answered, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. That's the only answer to that. Another player added, I think that is what makes our team so strong, is that we're not afraid to lose because it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. 
In Psalm 4, we study this morning, David writes of his own time of distress. And we don't know exactly this time what was going on in David's life, but David had many events in his life that would cause him to have distress, which simply means extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. And distress comes from many circumstances in life. There's almost a countless variety of events and circumstances in life that can bring stress, anxiety, sorrow, or pain. It may not be the pursuit of a national championship. It may not be being hunted by enemies trying to kill you, which was frequently David's cause of distress. But it could be any number of circumstances in your life that cause you great anxiety, sorrow, or pain. And this morning from Psalm 4, we'll see three things that you can do in times of distress. First, you can remember all that the Lord has done for you. Second, you can love your enemies. And third, you can live in the joy and peace of the Lord. David begins this psalm speaking directly to God. In verse 1, he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David, once again in his anguish, calls out to the Lord. And this time he demands an answer. He says, answer me when I call. He's looking for an immediate answer from, he says, the God of his righteousness. David knows that the only source of any righteousness before God is God himself. And so David appeals to the righteous God, this God who is righteous in his relationship with his people and righteously deals with his people. God is a father to his children. And he promised to be with David. He promised his presence with David and he promised to be present with you. And he righteously fulfills that promise. And it's based on his promise that God has promised to be with us, that you can know for sure that God is always with you. You often don't realize it. You often can't sense it. But he promised it, and he fulfilled it. It's when you're focusing on your circumstances that makes you think about your circumstances, and it makes you think about how difficult things are and, and how you're being treated. But in crying out to the Lord for relief, remembering, that he is your righteousness and that he can deliver you. You can find relief in distress. And also the first thing we see this morning that you can do in times of distress is to remember all the Lord has done for you. Obviously you want to go to the Lord in your distress and you want to trust that he can deliver you. David says of God, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. In his calling out to God and in asking God to be gracious and hear his prayer, he mentions that God has given him relief before when he was in distress. Now there are two levels to remembering all the Lord has done for you. First, you can remember all that he has done spiritually. We recently studied the book of Ephesians, and 
Through the first half of that letter, Paul lists all the spiritual blessings you receive through Christ. And he makes it clear that God chose you for this. You were once in darkness, spiritually dead in your sin, living life in your sin. But God chose you to be adopted into his family. He chose you for this through the sacrifice of his son. He redeemed you from sin and death into eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's given you the Holy Spirit, the down payment on a glorious inheritance that awaits you. You have the power of God working in you, Christ dwelling in your heart. And God did all of this for you, even though you were a sinner who rebelled against him, deserving nothing but his wrath. And so in your difficult circumstances in life, you can remember when you call out to God all he has done for you spiritually. But he also does things in this physical world for you that you can remember as well. He's given you a family, a church, a home, a job, education. He's provided everything you need in your life. Maybe he hasn't given you everything you want, but he gives you everything you need according to his perfect will. He also answers your prayers. We're often quick to move on when God has clearly answered one of our prayers. We pray, we thank him, but in a moment of despair, when you're calling out to the Lord, you can remember all the answered prayers that you've had in your life. All the gracious providence that God has given you, the whole journey of your life. He was there with you the whole time. Even when you were running from him, even in your rebellion against him. And so you can know that the God has, that has promised to be with his people will be with you by remembering all that he has already done for you when you call out to him and you ask him to be gracious and deliver you. But David doesn't only speak to God in this psalm. He also speaks to his enemies. In verse 2, he writes, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? The people David speaks to are those who rebel against God and his anointed. And they seem to be the people of Israel. The people who are supposed to serve the Lord and be under his king. They would have been the subjects of David. But instead of honoring David as their king, instead of honoring God's anointed king, they shame him. And David says, how long will you love vain words? This is actually literally translated as just love vanity. And, and if you remember from Psalm 2, the kings who rebelled against God and his anointed were said to meditate on vanity. And this means emptiness. It's like a vapor or smoke. It's not something you can grab. It, it goes away as quickly as it comes. And so the rebellious Israelites love vanity. They love the things of this world. Everything in this world is temporary. And to pursue them, to love them, is to love vanity, is to love emptiness, worthlessness. And so David asks, how long will they do this? And how long will they seek after lies? The men in question here they may have been lying about David. But this most likely refers to worshiping idols. 
The prophet Amos used the same word that's translated as lies here as another name for idols worshipped by Israel. Seeking after lies then probably means praying to false, empty gods and seeking help from them. David is calling out these men for their rejection and their rebellion against not only him, but God. But then David turns. He gives counsel to these men. David now gives advice to these wicked men who have been rebelling against him and God. In verse 3 he says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And there's a bit of a warning here. By going against God and his anointed king, they're going after nothing. They're going after vanity, wasting their time. Because the godly, those who God has called according to his purpose, those who have been chosen and changed by God have been set apart by God. They've been set apart by God for himself, for his purposes. And so God hears David, his anointed king. And he hears you when you call to him in your distress or any time you pray to him. And David is warning these rebellious men and he's moving to counsel them. In verse 4, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Be angry and do not sin, you may remember, is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. And Paul there is commanding believers not to sin in their anger. David is really doing the same. They're both calling repentance. The idea is, in your anger, do not sin. Not allowing your anger to bring you to sin. Instead, ponder or meditate in your own hearts as you lie in your bed, remaining silent. He's saying, don't act on your anger. Anger is a state that can easily cause you to sin. I know that if I'm angry and I start speaking in my anger, that's never a good combination. Instead, David tells these men, meditate alone. Remaining silent, not to sin, not to cause any harm with your tongue. But the interesting point is that David is lovingly giving his and God's enemies advice. He's not calling for their destruction. He's calling them to repent. He wants them to return to the Lord. And this is the second thing you can do in times of distress. Love your enemies. Often when you're having difficulties and stress, it can be caused by conflict with another person. The best thing to do is to love them. It's also your duty as a disciple of Christ. He's commanded you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. This would be the call to anyone whom you have conflict with, even those whom you don't quite get along with. You're to love them. You're to pray for them. Especially if this conflict is with another Christian within the church, which unfortunately often is where our conflicts are. But also, this is for unbelievers. You can pray for them, their repentance, the salvation of their souls. Pray that God will change their hearts. And pray for the power of God to work in you, for Christ to dwell in your heart so that you can love those who oppose you. You can get so worked up about how annoying or difficult or stubborn someone else is, you forget to take the log out of your own eye 
you forget to love them as Christ loved them, as Christ loves and forgives you. Jesus was willing to die for his enemies. He prayed for the forgiveness of the people who nailed him to the cross. He's willing to love and forgive you. And when you pray for God to work in your own heart, to love your enemies, God can and will grant you this grace. That you can show the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ with anyone whom you have conflict. No matter how deep the wounds, no matter how long ago it happened, no matter how difficult or stubborn the other person is, or are you are. God can melt your heart and bring you to love. He can bring you to love even your enemies and those whom are difficult. He can bring you to love anyone in your life. And in doing this, it's amazing that the stress of the situation goes away. When you feel love for someone, you don't feel stress. When you're praying for someone, the tension between you two will start to go away. And in moments of distress caused by extreme disagreements or conflicts, caused by an opponent or an enemy, you can love your enemies and you can pray for those who persecute you. And David tells those who rejected him in verse 5, he says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He's calling for them to worship the Lord, to repent. That is to turn from their sin and turn toward God and put their trust in the Lord. David's loving them. He's calling them to worship God. Now their issue is about a right relationship with the Lord. The conflicts that arise in our human horizontal relationships always stem from a vertical issue. They stem from our relationship with God. And these men have left God behind, and they love empty, worthless idols and lies. And David's calling them to worship God with a right heart attitude. It's not just offering sacrifice, it's not just religious ritual, but to do so with a trust of the Lord in your heart. Worship can become routine religious ritual if your heart is far from God. You're to worship God in spirit and in truth from a heart that trusts him, from a heart that obeys him out of love. Then David says in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? David is referring to the desire of these men to serve and worship whatever God gives them what they're looking for. They're saying, which God should we serve to give us the good life, to give us the things that we've determined to be good, instead of following God and allowing him to give you what he has determined to be good. And that is the difference in the two paths of life that we learned about in Psalm 1. And as we see, sets the whole tone of the Psalter. The path of the wicked is to follow the counsel of the world and let the world and your sinful heart determine what is good. And if you do that, you will worship and serve whatever idols you feel will fulfill that in your life. And there are so many lies that society tells us and, and sells to us daily. And if you believe them, you will serve the idols that you think will give you this. 
If you've determined that the ultimate good is success, then your career will become your God. And you will serve it and worship it, seeking success and sacrificing anything that gets in its way. If you've determined sex to be the ultimate good, then you will seek after it, promiscuity, pornography, or whatever else you can. If you've determined that in your heart attention or status or recognition are the ultimate good, then you will seek those at the cost of everything else. One of the more popular false gods of today is personal autonomy, personal freedom. You're told that the ultimate good is to be who you are, free from any restrictions. And if you've bought this lie, as many young people do today, then marriage and children and anything that hinders your so-called freedom are considered bad because they may hinder the pursuit of what you have determined to be good. And, and most people don't seek out one of these things, and, and none of them are bad in and of themselves, but when they become the ultimate good, when you seek after them instead of God, they become idols. And most people seek some combination of these things that they've learned from the world, the things that they've determined to be right in their own hearts. But the path of the righteous, the path of the godly, is to follow the Lord and what he's determined to be good, trusting that what he's revealed in his word, his Torah, his teaching for life is the true good. Trusting that living your life according to God's way of life is infinitely better than anything the world has to offer. As David responds to this by calling out to the Lord, he says, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David's reminding God's people. He's reminding you and I that the greatest blessing and good that you can find is the Lord himself. To see God's face or to have the light of God's face is to be in his presence. And this is the greatest good that anyone can seek. Anything else that you chase after is worthless in comparison. There's no amount of money or fine clothing, no car or house, no retirement package or vacation, no amount of fame or human attention. No amount of personal freedom that can possibly compare with the overwhelming glory of being in the presence of the Lord. Instead of living your life to get more stuff, God is calling you to live for him. To seek his presence in your life now and to receive the gracious gift of his glory in eternity. C.S. Lewis described this situation well in his book, the weight of glory, when he wrote, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the stagging nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God is the ultimate good. He is the ultimate glory. Any good he's given us in the world, in this life, is just a glimpse, a shadow of the goodness and glory that is found in God himself. 
The good gifts, the pleasures, the blessings that God has given us in this world all point us to him, to worship him, not to become the objects of worship themselves. This world becomes what God made it to be when we experience it through our relationship with him. Chasing the things of this world without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is like living in a giant multi-million dollar mansion all by yourself. It's empty. It's a worthless pursuit. But David tells us what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord. Starting in verse 7, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than when they have... Than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down, both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And this gives us the third thing you can do in times of distress. Live in the joy and peace of the Lord. David exclaims that God has given him more joy than those who have abandoned him, even in his riches. Even when... They have grain and wine that are endless. And this is what the Oklahoma softball players were talking about. The joy of the Lord. A supernatural joy that comes from God that is beyond your circumstances. When your joy comes from circumstances, it most certainly won't last. The things of this world that promise joy will always let you down. But the joy from the Lord is eternal. As long as you seek the Lord and what he has determined to be good, you will have his joy in your heart. If you seek God through Christ, you will love and serve him with joy. If you seek Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died in your place, who reconciled you to God through his sacrifice on the cross, you will have the joy of Christ in your heart, regardless of your circumstances. This is what the Apostle Paul was writing about in our responsive reading this morning in Philippians chapter 4. He wrote, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul saying that he can rejoice in any circumstance. Even as he wrote that letter from a Roman prison, he still had joy in horrible circumstances because he had the joy of the Lord. He pursues a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as the ultimate good. Living life God's way, living according to his word, living a life that is following Jesus Christ, not the world, not seeking after the lies that the world tells us what is good. This is the secret that Paul was revealing. He can live poor or rich, facing any circumstance through the Spirit of Christ, working in him, strengthening him, giving him the joy and the peace that comes from the Lord. Seeking the joy of the Lord instead of your circumstances is the only sustainable way to joy and peace. And ultimately, The Lord is sovereign over all your circumstances. He's the giver of all good things. So to seek the things of this world over the one who created them is worthless. It's vanity. It's foolish. When you seek after God, when you seek after Christ in your heart, 
you will have the joy and peace that only Jesus Christ can provide. And Jesus told his disciples, he told you and I, peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When you fully understand all that Christ has done and continues to do, you can have rest in him. You can have his peace in your life. Your Savior loves you. He cares for you. He left heaven and came to earth so that he could reconcile you to God through his life and his death. So that you could know the presence of God. So that you could know the joy and peace of God. So that you can live your life for God. When you realize that your identity is a child of God in Christ, you no longer have to seek the lies of the world. It's amazing the relief you can feel when you no longer need to impress others or seek their approval. You can have the peace of Jesus Christ in your heart now because he changes your heart to live for him. You can seek his kingdom instead of trying to build your own. You can have relief from the guilt of not being good enough. And you can find your identity in Christ rather than your identity in your wealth or your status in the world or whatever other lies the world has told you. Through Jesus Christ, you have the joy and peace of God in your heart that no circumstance can defeat, that no amount of anxiety or sorrow or pain can destroy. And so you can seek God now through a relationship with Jesus Christ by following and loving Jesus, waiting for his return. Because when Jesus Christ returns, he will bring you into the fullness of his glory for eternity, where you will enjoy the joy and peace and all the blessings of God uninterrupted for the rest of eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, seeking you. We seek your presence, your glory, your holiness, and all that you are. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to transform us into your image, that in our hearts we will leave behind the lies of the world and we will seek your love, that we will continuously remember all that you have done for us in our lives that you have saved us through your son, Jesus Christ, that you've provided everything we need, and that you have promised to bring us home to glory. We, Lord, we, we pray for you to continue to work in our hearts, that we will love those who have wronged us, that any stress or distress that is caused by conflict with another, that you will heal it by healing our hearts and bringing us to forgive. And Lord, we ask that you continue to give us the joy and peace that only comes from you, that we focus our hearts and minds on the joy and peace that you have given us through Jesus Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.